It's episode 418, and I'm chatting with Paul Dermody. Let's cue that intro. The big question is this. How do we use cycling as a tool to improve our health, our happiness, and our longevity? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Anthony Walsh, and welcome to the Roadman Podcast. Roadman, welcome back. It's another Roadman Cycling Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Today's guest, I'm super excited to bring you. It is Paul Dermody. He's a personal trainer and he is honestly one of the most interesting dudes I've chatted with in a long, long time. Paul has figured out, not sure if this is knowingly or unknowingly, but that he's figured out that we're basically living in a world of superficiality and instead of going broad on a number of subjects and have a little knowledge on a number of subjects paul has decided to go deep really deep on specific areas of his expertise and focus and he has such interesting diverse textured cultured opinions in the areas of diet and personal training specifically and that's the focus of our conversation today but it is a wide-ranging chat where we talk about and go in many different directions i really really enjoyed recording this podcast i'm always interested to know podcasts that i really enjoy is there a correlation between my enjoyment of recording them and your enjoyment of listening to them so please pop me a dm over on instagram just roman.cycling over on instagram and let me know if you enjoyed this one as much as i enjoyed recording it yesterday i spoke about the new show notes page that's roadmancycling.com forward slash show notes so this show will be forward slash paul hyphen dermody so every show is going to be the exact same format so it's going to be roadmancycling.com slash show notes that'll bring you to the show notes page and you can pick and choose from there but if you want to go directly to the guest's name you'll just go first name hyphen surname and that's going to bring you there or else you can click the link in the wherever you're listening to this podcast so roadman without further ado i'm really privileged and delighted to welcome to the podcast my fellow countryman mr paul dermody man thanks so much for having me i am excited to chat oh paul look we've been chatting off air i could have recorded the last 10 minutes and they would have been some of the best 10 minutes of the podcast i've put out in the last couple of months (laughs) (laughs) no i appreciate it i'm glad we went straight in because i would have genuinely talked for another hour straight so it's probably best to interrupt me yeah but i have so many areas i want to pick your brain on but one that's uh, quite at the front of my mind at the moment is I've, I've no idea what this phenomenon is but there's a magazine in cycling and it's called cycling weekly and one of the biggest pet peeves i have at the moment i'm seeing prospective clients coming into me and i'll chat to them and analyze what their training has been like and within cycling coaching and cycling training there's all these different philosophies and basically they're similar in strength and condition probably like you've periodization you reverse periodization you front load a periodization all these different types of training but and all of them have their merits and all of them are quite well peer-reviewed and show quite a good outcome at the end but what's frustrating me is when clients are coming in i say well what's your last six months look like and they've tried six or seven different training philosophies within that six month period and i call it like the cycling weekly training plan where they do something for like two weeks they don't see progress within two weeks because like how would you see progress it's only two weeks and then they go oh no this isn't working and they jump to the next one is there something that frustrates you around diet as well uh, a, a little bit, yes. 
Uh, I think I have, as a, as a personal trainer, I think I've been quite lucky that I can, in a way, stamp a lot of that mentality out from being the trainer of that mentality, partly because with the way I structure my service, a lot of how I do, without going into the boring detail, there's kind of very much a process in the first period of time where a lot of the habits is purely almost observational. So I'll almost work with somebody and I'll get them to keep maybe food diaries or specific logs of certain things where I'm not giving any input for a period of time if I if I suspect a person is in a, a kind of a crash diet mentality. And what it does, and I tell people this on the front end, what I'm trying to do is very much say critical thinking and, and a little bit of not pardon, a little bit of reflection are going to be an integral part of this. Uh, because I, I also think cycling is a bit different, man. Um, cycling is a really wonderful discipline. It's probably a lifelong sport. It's probably a hobby that you'll have to some degree in some aspect for your life forever. But dieting for fat loss can get real old real quick. And sometimes the the fruits and the, the after, if you like, aren't anywhere near as gratifying and as enriching as a lot of people hope. And I, I think anyway, when a lot of us diet from a place of purely hoping it's going to increase our confidence, we often get extremely disappointed and it's in no way gratifying. And then obviously not only did confidence not increase, but some of the behaviors that arise as a result are not necessarily helpful. Whereas I think you, in a sense, with cycling, it's probably difficult to maybe get people to focus in certain ways. But I do think once people commit to the discipline of what you guys do, it's so much more process oriented. As a whole, yeah, man, it, it is quite a frustrating thing to deal with because I don't know if you if you find this, Anthony, but um, first principles thinking is something that's so crucial to be able to strip something back to its first principles and think, well, like, how is this working? What's the fundamental principle being manipulated at play? And how do I incorporate this into my life in the most stress-free way possible? But it, it's the challenge, isn't it? Because we have this instant gratification culture and that's pulling in the polar opposite direction to, as you call it, first principles. Like I had a listener of the podcast reach out to me on Instagram and I, I won't name him, but he has an event that's like two weeks away and he's like, oh, any preparation advice for the event? And it's like, it's two weeks away. Like what, what do you want me to do here for you? It's, you know, that's a conversation that should have been had 12 months ago. And, you know, tongue in cheek, I kind of wrote back on, yeah, get a training plan next time. But And, you know, it was a, you know, a trivial, you know, actually, you know, have a bit of forethought on planning so we can bring it back to foundational 101, what makes a successful athlete building in and installing habits into your, you know, schedule week on week, which compound month on month, and then we can get you the desired outcome. But it's, that social media culture, I think, is at odds with, the idea of first principles. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I do definitely think there's kind of like a delayed gratification kind of culture. I think we all fall victim to it sometimes in, in certain areas of our life, but I mean, you are right. It is the kind of the conversation that needs to be had 12 months ago. You know, it's not as simple as do these exact actions and get these exact results. It's such a, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of reflection needed in any kind of lifestyle change like for example in the the dieting context that i'm referring to sleep is such a big one if you if you if you're sleeping poorly and i know there's a lot of new parents so so take this with a pinch of salt but if you're sleeping really poorly you're exhausted then you wake up really tired maybe you're late for work you skip out on breakfast you have your cup of coffee you have the 10th cup of coffee you're really caffeinated <laughs> you're grabbing, you're, yeah and you're grabbing something really really quick and then you're home in the evening and then you're just tempted to graze for the evening and you know the sleep cycle continues and then you just jump straight into a restrictive diet plan kind of negating that kind of cycle i do think the likelihood of worsening those kind of behaviors 
is so much higher. So as much as I do think we're in an instant gratification culture in some ways, I also do think a lot of the modern day structure of life is just not catered to emotional wellness. I really don't. I don't think the, the actually society is nebulous. I don't love that term because what really is society, but as a whole, I don't think that the modern day nature of life is, is catering towards what you might call or consider to be emotional wellness. I don't know if you agree with that. Well, I struggle with this as a, you know, I'd class the two of us as creators. You know, we're putting a lot out into the world as opposed to some people's relationship with social media is as a consumer. But uh, this is something I struggle with because I think the creation has seasons and that you can flourish in the winter and the spring, but you need to go inward to figure out what you're going to create for periods of the year. And my podcast is five days a week. So I do struggle with that ability to be able to churn content out 365, five days a week. So it's something I'm thinking about at the moment. Will I take an off season on the podcast where I can actually just go inwards, slow down, be still, reflect and plan what the next move is instead of being that perpetual hamster on a wheel? Is it like you run out of ideas to talk about or do you feel like you're being repetitive? possibly elements of you're going to get a certain amount of repetition when you're speaking you know long form five days a week and you're going to get you know joe rogan's been widely criticized recently for you know misrepresenting opinions around covid amongst other things but it's easy to say you know what's the roosevelt the roosevelt quote on i don't know it offhand but it's easy to be in the crowd uh, but the, the guy who's in the middle is the one marred with dust and blood and mud. And uh, I think it's easy as a non-podcaster or somebody creating non-long-form content to throw aspersions at somebody. But when you're talking unfiltered five plus hours every week, you're going to have a certain amount of reputation, repetition and you're going to have a certain amount of mistakes in stuff you make. Yeah, 100%, especially because you are figuring out a lot of what you say as you speak it. You know, you, you have thoughts. One thing I learned, I, I, I started learning a second language. Nice. And I, and, I, and I said to my teacher when she was teaching me that I don't love taking notes and I don't really love doing things with a pen and paper. I prefer kind of the conversation aspect, if that's okay with you. And she said she was perfectly comfortable with that. And, you know, I start conversing with her and I start getting more advanced at the language. And even as I'm speaking to her, I'm saying things about my opinions on certain aspects of maybe society, politics, or maybe important issues whereby nobody's recording us. And it's it's not being judged. It's not being scrutinized. And I come away with, from some of those conversations thinking that didn't represent by <laughs> any means what I actually think. Do you know, for, for example... And I always kind of use this example where we talked about the nuances of, not to get too political by any means, but capitalism and socialism. And it's just an easy one to think of, to use as an example. But I might say, or I might intend on saying, I believe capitalism is a more effective means than communism and socialism because blah, blah, blah. But how it comes out is I'm a heartless bastard and I want to crush everybody. And, and, and you're not representing how you think as well as you think because you're in your thoughts all day. So your thoughts process like they make sense in your head. But then you try and say them out loud and you realize holy shit, this is so incomplete. I, I haven't been able to learn how to articulate this message yet in a way that's inviting, warm, non-offensive in a sense. And um, I just, I've learned a lot of that through my own podcast, through stepping back at seasons, uh, through, through doing more content, through doing less content, through talking to more people, through engaging and, and being a lot, being challenged a lot on my kind of opinions and stuff as well. But um it's, it's been, you almost cringe when you look back and you think, oh my God, I said this on a yeah. podcast or on an Instagram, but it's growth, man. 
Well, I had a funny one for you. So I had a podcast last week. I had just a controversy going on in Cycling Ireland at the moment around funding an Irish professional cycling team. But I had one of the guys at the centre of the controversies, one of the founders of the team, PJ Nolan, on the podcast. And the Sunday Times had reported on this. A, a number of Irish and UK papers have reported on the story. But the Sunday Times had WhatsApp quotes out of context for you know somebody who, and I'm let, I let my personal relationship colour it, somebody who's a friend of mine who's involved in the dispute. So Sunday Times had a WhatsApp message out of context from him on it. And I said, you know, just another example of gutter journalism on the podcast. But I got a message from the, as he said, and he slipped into the DMs on Twitter. He's like, hey, gutter journalist here. Thanks very much. And it was as he said that I was like, shit, you know, there's real people behind this stuff. And I'm saying something like the two, like me and you were chatting in the pub and you're not giving a lot of forethought to it. And I actually read back his piece and it wasn't a, a piece of gutter journalism it was actually a good piece of journalism and i'd let my emotional baggage that i brought to that color my opinion and in that unfiltered moment so i actually just reached back out to him i was like bro i'm a dick i am sorry for that hands up i should not have said that because it's untrue it wasn't a shit piece of journalism it was actually a pretty decent piece of journalism and i let my baggage color that and i always say like i've, I've strong opinions held loosely because we just say so many stupid things in this unfiltered format that you can't be married to them well social media also as a as a kind of a construct it doesn't cater for gathering your cool collected calm thoughts for 60 seconds and, and, and then interjecting and saying actually i have a different perspective it, it very much caters to the you've hit my emotional center and i'm going to give it back to you right now and say something that i don't even know i mean and um I, I definitely think that's one it is one of the dangers with social media there's absolutely no doubt about that the, the critique you can give or be given doesn't necessarily warrant any kind of justification or whatever but um, like, because a lot of the stuff we would say, like, you know, you you'd probably be the first to admit it. You wouldn't have said you gutter journalist to the guy's face without saying, "Look, I'd like to know what you meant by that," or yeah. "I'd like a bit more context. I'd like to explore this idea a bit more." And it's also without understanding the actual constraints he is under. You know, certain forms of media have different constraints than what we do, long form podcasting. Like at the beginning of this conversation, we were like, "How long have you got?" And we we're like, "As long as it takes," and that's how long the podcast is going to be. But he has an editor in his ear going, "You four hundred words." to summarize contextualize this very complicated nuanced argument and you have to fit it into that small box and that's a challenge and also a lot of journalism that we are exposed to can actually be gutter journalism when you do this <laughs> true. so yeah so it's easy it's easy to paint i remember a long time ago i had a client who lost a lot of weight it's absolutely true and um the paper the newspaper got onto me and said would you mind doing an interview and I said, yeah, sure, no problem. I'd love to. Uh, I thought it'd be great exposure. It turned out to be amazing exposure. Got me on the radio as well. I actually ended up doing a couple of features out of this with a few newspapers, Men's Health Magazine, RT2 Radio and amazing. stuff. Yeah, it was great exposure at the time because I was trying to become a quote-unquote upcoming personal trainer to sound pretentious. But um, anyway, this particular publication messaged me and they said, your client lost so much weight. Would you tell us how he did it? And I don't give meal plans. I'm big on, as you touched on at the start of the podcast, I'm big on connecting with thyself. I really do think there's a loss of connection with the self in this day and age. That's not to say that there's certain things that do and don't work, but um, like working 20 hours a day will probably make me a billionaire, but I don't know if I want that life. And I think it's the same with food, you know, tracking your macros to the umpteenth gram will get you the body you want, but you don't know if you want that life. So I try and talk to my clients a lot and I try and say, look, here's the realistic expectation. Here's how we manage those expectations. Here's what you can expect for your 
results and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, basically, long story short, I didn't give my client a meal plan. We barely even talked about food. He just basically hit a loose calorie target for a set period of time. And the, the, the editor got onto me and said, what meal did they eat? And I said, well, I, I'm not actually sure. You'd have to ask them that. And like, well, they must have eaten something different. And I said, yeah, the diet was definitely different. It would have had to be. <laughs> I don't know. He'll tell you. And he goes, well, what was he not allowed to eat? And my whole philosophy is in inclusion rather than exclusion. And I said, I have no idea. I would never ban a food. I think it's a dreadful idea. And, and literally, I think it was a sheesh. goes, potatoes. Could he eat potatoes? And I said, yeah, of course he could eat potatoes. And then the next day, the paper was up. Man loses so many pounds eating potatoes on the headline. <laughs> and I thought, oh, for fuck's sake, this is the exact tripe I've been trying to avoid with these senses. You know, because I've seen it with, with the similar clubs in the past where it's like, you know, such a food is free, such a food isn't free. And people are hoovering pasta into themselves as if it's some kind of low calorie food right Not you could have branded uh, yourself the potato diet guy <laughs> i could have and i could have started selling potato meal plans i mean but, but it, that's protein potato could be the next thing there <laughs> it could have worked but but it but it's an example of journalism that i wasn't a big fan of because i specifically was trying to get that point across so my my original point was there is examples of journalism that's less than flattering and i, I think we can paint one person with the same brush we paint everybody with i know you're not big on prescriptive you can eat this you can't eat this but when you look back on your career as a trainer as someone who's you know given a lot of dietary advice is there common treads that links success stories oh that's a brilliant question in my opinion and yes there absolutely is um but i would argue they're more in a sense they're more behavioral and philosophical i get a lot of people ask me or pardon even suggest paul i love your emphasis on psychology but i don't see it that way i just see it as human management behaviors and human management uh, expectation management i'm just interested in the person so I think common threads that run through successful people is they generally are able to catch this kind of black or white, all or nothing mentality and address kind of cognitions that might be trying to trick them. Like um, this arbitrary should, you know, the idea that you, you know, people think they'll ruin their diet with one meal. So then that, and because they're afraid of a bit of fat gain, they think they ruined the diet with one meal and then act in a way that's virtually guaranteed to make that fat gain happen and then go back and blame that one meal, even though they fell off the diet. That's brilliant. Where, yeah, exactly. And then when people aren't in that all or nothing thinking, they can say, well, I've had something I didn't cater for and it's just back to business. It's just back to my habitual diet. Because if you uh, flip that idea of one bad meal, the opposite to that is there's one perfect workout that makes a difference. A hundred percent. And that's, again, that kind of goes back to it. That That's precisely it. You don't change in any meaningful way on one good decision, just like you don't change in any meaningful way on a quote unquote bad one. But I would also argue as well, if you don't, if you make an error, and I'm not talking about the food, I'm talking about an error in judgment, and then you don't change as a result, you're philosophically and behaviorally the same, which means you're likely to be in the same cycle. So to, to sum it up, there's basically a cycle that I've observed that I was in. It's the whole center stone of my coaching business is, want to change my body because I hate it, diet way too aggressively, fuck the diet up and mess with the rules, and then be back, break the diet, virtually fulfill that fear of fat gain by acting in such a way guaranteed to make it happen because I was off the diet, and then start that cycle again. And I think if you can break that cycle, that takes you a long way towards a healthy relationship to food. There's obviously more complex nuances than that, but one of the threads is to get off the all or nothing binge restrict cycle that I see so many people on. That's brilliant. And I also see on this idea of, I'd, I'd call it almost hung for a sheep as hung for a lamb. And I'm seeing this with clients all the time that they've defined food as 
a list in their head of good foods and bad foods. And I'm not sure what your thoughts on this. I'm sure you have more nuanced thoughts on it than I do. But when you label a certain group of foods as bad foods, it's just a recipe for, like you're saying, that cyclical diet, diet, diet. Okay, I'm being good, I'm being good, I'm being good. Shit, I'm being bad, I'm being bad, I'm being bad. And now I may as well be hung for a sheep as lamb. I've eaten two bad foods. You know, now I may as well binge and have four tubs of Ben and Jerry's. And that's exactly it, man. The thing you want to do is, regardless of the decision you make, you want to have absolutely no perception of anything overly bad or overly good. You want to get to a place where, irrespective of the meal, there's no transgression. It doesn't exist. Whether you decide to have an ice cream tonight, whether you decide to have your normal dinner, or everything in between, it's not a transgression. It's a choice. And it's quite a powerful mindset shift, because once you feel like you're doing nothing wrong in the first place, then there is no inherently bad self-fulfilling prophecy to come out of that so that's kind of been the initial philosophy of kind of the nutrition aspect i think we as an industry can't relate to our clients very well you know while the average person like myself i put myself heavily into that bracket is living life doing a job having a partner wanting a social life wanting to be fit is kind of just being some degree of diligent or portion size i think trainers are missing the mark by arguing over the best macro split the exact best protein number grams of X, grams of Y, foods to avoid. And I just don't think that's really life. I don't think that's how it works. And even, even you, you might be able to relate this back to pretty much any aspect in life, but rigid and strict thinking is linked to worse outcomes across the board. Everything in, t- in terms of physical health and dieting. If you talk and things like anxiety and fear, if you talk about actual dietary enjoyment and you talk about body fat levels, the stricter the diet, the stricter the dieter and the more rigid the process, the worse the outcome. And I think that's really worth thinking about. I can totally relate this to cycling. We're in a very data-driven culture in cycling for the last decade. So I'm not sure how much you follow cycling sports science, but we have strain gauges built into the pedals of bikes. So as you push down on the bike, it's generating force, which is displayed on the screen as watts. So now this becomes a very prescriptive tool for coaches to say, now you're going to train at this X number of watts for the next hour, including two five-minute efforts at this you know, Y watts. And I've noticed that if you listen to the dialogue between advanced riders who are very comfortable where they are in their cycling journey, maybe professional riders, versus the dialogue of, you know, I, I don't know how to like, label them anyway, disparaging, I'd say less experienced riders, people earlier in the journey. The people earlier in the journey are getting so hung up on the nuances of average power versus normalized power. Exactly, oh, was I exactly where I needed to be for that interval? And I'd equate that nearly to you're talking about the beginners talking about or the misplaced attention the PTs are putting on macros. But when I look at the habits and the conversations around the really advanced guys, they're talking about how their body felt. They're talking about, you know, this idea, it's a French idea nearly of on form. It's like, how how does the pedal stroke feel? How does the pedal stroke look? They're much more in tune with their body. They're much more in tune with the input rather than what the output on the screen is saying, if that makes sense. But it seems to be a parallel across most meaningful and useful journeys that you tend to go in this place where you overanalyze the stuff that doesn't matter. And then you get to that place of mastery where you get back to the, the few things that actually, it's almost like, um, how do I say this? At the start, it's almost like oversimplification through almost arrogance. Then there's a middle period where there's overcomplication through doubt. And then at the end, it's back to simplification through knowledge in a sense. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's yeah, just- Yeah, that's very good. And I think the Americans have a saying for it. It's like, 
majoring in the minors or something like yeah. that. 100%. And that, that happens a lot. You, you've touched on it with cycling. It definitely happens in nutrition. But it does, unfortunately, in my opinion, come from the top down in the fitness industry. Like, I, I have suspected for a long time. This is something my girlfriend used to say to me. Uh, she still says it every now and again, but it's something that I've really honed in on is that a lot of personal trainers don't love food and fitness. They're bound by it. It's a fear. It's not a, it's not a healthy um, indulgence or practice. It's a, it's a fear and it's a hold. Like if you break your diet, if you miss your workout, bad things happen and then project that onto the client and then the client becomes I, I, like a, a good teacher is not supposed to make you a mini Paul or mini person. A good teacher is supposed to offer you the kind of the first principle thinking and be like, look, I'll have done my job when you feel that I should get the hell out of your life, that yeah. you can make a confident decision with or without me sitting by it. I'll be here as long as you need me. I love this journey. But ultimately, I need I need you to have the confidence to make a given decision. Because if you can, if you can pathologize online normal behaviors as some kind of defect, you can sell the solution. And I think that's that's a kind of a what a what a lot of the the manipulative side of the diet industry does. I'm talking those really seedy kind of corporations and supplement companies and diet plans and stuff. But ultimately, I think a really good teacher will guide a student to, you said it, spot on, to almost connect with their body and connect with themselves. And the most advanced cyclers are able to almost feel the pedal, feel their legs, feel their body. And I think that's, I don't even just think that's a goal. I think on some level, that's a bit of a prerequisite for mastery. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I, I definitely do. And I, the power of examples and looking at your personal trainer, like you're talking about me as a client and you as the personal trainer, the dynamic shifts there. It's not like as we're having this conversation now, we're having this conversation as two peers, podcast host and podcast guest. And then with a different hat on, you're a podcast host. You know, maybe I'll be your podcast guest sometime, but they're equally it's almost like a peer conversation but if that dynamic shifts and now you're in the gym with me and you're showing me this stuff i'm looking up to what you're doing both on a conscious and an unconscious way like what you say to me matters but also what you do and how you carry yourself matters and for me i think back to some of the the toxic examples i had as an athlete coming up cycling so cycling is a sport that you know, to really break it down and simplify it, there's two variables that matter, power and weight. And this is why it's a very difficult relationship with food and cycling. And one year, it's an extreme example, and I'll hold my hands up, but I'm not proud of it, but it's something I've done. So I was trying to train for the National Hill Climb Championships in Ireland. So this is where power to weight is more accentuated than anything else, because you're literally going straight uphill. And like walking around now, I'm like 80 kilograms and I'm a pretty healthy 80 kilograms. Wouldn't say I'm carrying a lot of extra body fat, but I was racing at 68 kilograms when I was full time in France. And for a period of two months getting ready for this hill climb championships, I was starting training late in the day. So I was having breakfast. I was riding through lunch and then in my head, I was coming home and what I was doing for recovery was having two liters of fizzy water to bloat the stomach and make it feel like it's full, having two sleeping tablets and going to bed for the evening to keep weight off. And that was months of my preparation for the National Hill Climb Championships. Eating disorders are just so prevalent, but that was normalized because of the examples I've seen within cycling. I'd love to say it's different in my industry, but what you said, the water to expand out the stomach, the, you know, go to bed, don't think about it. It's very common practice as well in the, in the really? fitness industry. Oh, it absolutely is, man. Um, I I think if people realize that a lot of their Instagram fitness influences are using performance-enhancing drugs, fat-burning medical, like pharmaceutical fat burners, not over-the-counter stuff, 
fillers, surgeries, filters, lights, etc., throwback pictures. I don't think that, not to mention the plethora of eating disorder behaviors, I don't think they'd be idolizing it anywhere near as much. And um, I'm 100% with you. I can relate to you personally in a sense because of, I've done silly things off the back of having influences as well, but you almost have to go through it to realize just how detrimental it is and then realize that, wow, I have the chance now to be the influence that I needed growing up. You know, you might be able to influence other people now to not do the daftest of shit when they're they're doing something regarding cycling, just like I do. I actually put up a Facebook status. For example, I've always been so obsessed with not giving bad diet advice where I best I could, but I did something that I'm not proud of. It's only a small little thing in my mind, but the power of words, I was just actually talking about it on Facebook. Years back, one of my clients confided on me that she wasn't happy with her eating, and I just kind of said to her, look, it might be good to do a bit of meal preparation in the in the evening and I had just discovered kind of personal development books back then so I was at the height of being insufferable you know when you think you've just discovered something oh, yeah, that yeah. nobody else knows yeah I've got your affairs too you get it yeah, absolutely and I just said oh everyone she said I don't have time in the evening and I said everyone's got time it's just clearly not a priority for you you know thinking I'm Johnny motivator mid-20s yeah, yeah. what, what the hell do I know but it turns out she had a chronic illness and it was not debilitating enough for her to miss her gym sessions with me fortunately but it wiped her after work it exhausted her after work and um, I remember she told me that she confided in me and I'm thinking, wow, Paul, you've just, without knowing this woman's situation, you've just patronized her by reminding her there's 24 hours in a day as if, as if she needed some, that, that pearl of wisdom at a given time. And I always think information alone is what seldom changes minds. It's, it's tact. It's being an influence. It's being someone who, who makes people feel secure enough and safe enough to maybe share information with you that they wouldn't have. Now, luckily she did eventually, maybe she knew I had decent intentions, even though I was a bell in that day, but, <laughs> but yeah, but it's true. And we, we do ultimately look at people's influence, I think, and not their words. You know, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at, which are cycling venture. And the, the fact that you had to go through what you had to go through, it's likely you looked up at somebody and probably somebody could have told you in the middle of all of that, don't do that man that's not healthy you'll regret it you'll be in your 30s and you'll look back and you'd have been thinking what does this granddad know i'm I'm gonna go to the top you know that kind of way it's those generalizations never work like uh you know oh it's just a matter of priorities and i remember i completely left turn but i remember during the start of lockdown hearing one of the irish politicians talking about you know we're all in this together and i remember thinking we're all in this together looks very different in your five bedroom semi-detached house in ranlet than it does in the one bedroom flat in ballymon when your partner has a heroin addiction and you have six kids one of which has a learning difficulty you know we're all in this together it's like give me a break these flat out generalizations in any industry just always paint you as an arrogant dick the generalizations really work partly because you've met a poignant example there of the the domestic abuse potentially or the drug addiction but i was also in vietnam for covid and they closed the borders so you have literally vietnamese people out of work who are one meal genuinely one meal or one week away from significant catastrophe in terms of existential crises so yeah you're 100 we're all in this together in terms of it's a bit of a nuisance for everybody but that nuisance varies depending on your circumstance and your socioeconomic status as well oh yeah uh, we we touched on this already to kind of uh you know majoring in the minors but i just want to unpack that a little bit further uh, in the fitness industry you know i am observing it you know at a bit of a distance whereas you're down in the mud are you is this proliferation of new 
apps new wearables for measuring blood glucose for measuring heart rate variability measuring sleep measuring activity it seems like we have this just massive amount of data is this making life easier or is this making life more difficult it's a great question man i don't know it depends what you're doing with the data um i can only i guess in ways here's where you kind of buy your coach rather than necessarily you're not buying my calories or my macros you're probably buying my my brain if you like I don't use anything. Uh, so, and I probably, I've always kind of said, try not to comment on something you don't have firsthand experience with in a sense, because I think there's kind of two sides. There's practitionership and then there's knowledge and they're, they're both important, but I do think it's better to have both. I've never put on an app for fitness. I, I couldn't tell you anything about a sleep app. Like I've, I've seen situations where a client would report back and saying, my watch told me I had a great sleep, but I'm fucking exhausted. Yeah. And I'm thinking, the watch isn't working and functioning throughout the day. You are. You're the human. Um, so I'm apprehensive, personally. I'm skeptical, but I say that knowing that there's probably limitations in my knowledge. And if you do want that every element of data, um, that's going to take you here and get to the last few percent. I'm most certainly not the coach for you, partly because I just don't understand it. I, I don't even know how Fitbit works. I don't know what it does. I know it keeps your steps and bits and pieces, but I've always tried to simplify I, I told you before we went on air that simplify is my one of the kind of i don't want to say life model it's a bit cheesy but i really believe in that to a to a deep deep degree and i i just can't see why you'd need to com complicate fitness beyond some degree of progressive training if that's the outlet you choose some degree of non-stressful movement like walking where there is no recovery demands for just general enjoyment health and well-being and then some degree of plate planning or bowl control or I just made that up, bowl control, that's <laughs> or, or some kind of some degree of portion control, basically. And I, I happen to consider, without in any way oversimplifying, because I'm aware of the detriment in that too, that that's basically the pillars. Now, if you wish to go into the weeds of tracking apps and devices and whatnot, I'll happily do a calorie counting app with you because it's baseline education. But besides that, man, what are you doing with all that data? Well, this is my issue with it. What are you doing with all that data? And I think you rightly said there, life is a game of subtraction and not addition. It yeah. should be getting back to understanding the human body because ultimately that's the most complicated wearable and machine that's ever been invented. So it's trying to understand, and it doesn't come with a user manual. So it's trying to understand and unpack ourselves rather than waste time. Like at the moment, I'm wearing the Aura wearable. So I said, like you, I'm going to give it two months to understand this data and see what I can do with it. And I'm coming to the end of my second month with it. And I don't know what to do with the data. Like, and this is as a professional cycling coach, I don't know what to do with the data. I'm getting data every morning to say I slept well or I slept badly, but I wake up and I'm tired and I don't feel like I've slept well. And then I've checked my app and it says you haven't slept well. And I'm like, I know I haven't slept well. I've got bags under my eyes. There's a car alarm going off all night. Or it says I've slept great and or I feel like I slept great and I check it and I've slept great. And again, I don't know what to do with the data. Like, do I change my threshold interval my plan threshold interval from 2 by 20 to 2 by 12 based on the amount of time i spent in deep sleep i haven't seen the research to back this up it's entirely just guesswork at the moment i think i'm always a fan of any advancement in anything that's going to bring us forward but i feel like we're not there at the moment we are there in terms of gathering the data but the prescriptive element of what we do with that data I can yeah, see, I can see for you, like, uh, sorry to cut across you. See, for for you, we're talking about baseline movement, like walking. Like, if my median amount of steps in a day is 
six thousand and i have a day all of a sudden that's forty thousand there should be a prescriptive element to that maybe i alter my session by x amount that evening but what is x and how do we define what x is and that's the next frontier for it i think yeah in a way like there's certain elements of the the data that i would respect in terms of if if you're doing say some kind of cardiovascular activity and it's a priority and you do want to track heart rate you know i can totally get behind that because that's quite tangible I think sometimes understanding calorie balance is a very useful tool, so I don't think people should get hung up on it. Um, and I, I know wonderful coaches who do love that kind of data metrics and stuff like that. They, they do live and die by it, per se, and I'm certainly not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's it's just not my my way of coaching, if you like, over overall. But there's a, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a side I'm not seeing as well. Maybe it's the fact that I'm not so much anti this stuff as I just don't want it to erode that kind of, critical thinking and intuition that I think is needed for longevity. Like, you know, I, I woke up today, for example, and I'm tired or than usual, more tired than usual. And I need to adjust a few things this week based on my schedule. And I do that without even thinking, but I know people crippled with guilt by that mentality because Thursday we do X Friday, we do Y and that's the yeah. way the structure has to be. So I don't know. It depends. Like, like you, like you said, like we touched on, man, what, it depends on what the data is doing. If the data is improving you slowly, but it's also teaching you to be quite intuitive and flexible in your mindset, um, fantastic. Have at it. Go crazy. I'm just a bit apprehensive as a person, knowing full well the limitations of my knowledge on this, that I haven't actually looked into this anywhere near as much as I should have as well. Some of it's worth looking into. Heart rate variability, I feel, is worth looking into. But again, it's maybe it's the stage I am in the journey as well, where I've come out the far end and I am more in touch with my body. That... I'm looking at heart rate variability and it's very much syncing up that with a diary entry that I would have made before looking at the heart rate variability score. But maybe if you haven't got that awareness around how you feel yet, you haven't developed that because you're early in the journey, maybe it gives an objective. Because I will talk with clients sometimes and an example, I'm not sure in the background, it's just there, it's going to be behind my head. I have a Watt bike and I'll often bring clients through like a ramp protocol test where you're starting them off at something like 200 watts, which is kind of a five out of 10 effort and i'll bring them up maybe 10 watts every minute you know just picking an arbitrary number i'll bring them up 10 watts every minute and at certain points in the test i would expect our rpe to be at a certain level so when they're struggling for breath i would expect them to uh, come back to me whether i'm at a seven or eight out of ten rpe if they're finding it difficult to hold conversation and you know i'll be checking their blood lactate figures and i'd expect that to be around four millimoles of blood lactate but People are really bad at understanding their body. I was doing a test recently and it was like an ex-Gaelic footballer and he's at four millimoles, which is eight out of 10. You would expect him to be getting close to the to the end of it. And so I asked him to rate his perceived effort out of 10 and he's like, no, nah, nothing. And I'm like, how do you mean nothing? I was like, it's one, out, one to 10. And he's like, okay, if I have to give you something, one. And I'm looking at his blood lactate and going, like, that's wrong. I know it's your subjective analysis, but your subjective analysis is wrong like empirically it's wrong you're at four millimoles you're just about to blow you haven't got much left once i ramp you to the next stage you're gonna blow sure enough i ramp him to the next stage and the test ends he can't sustain the power people are really bad at reporting on themselves at an early stage in their journey i feel with that guy is it a case of him being so used to high level training that maybe it is a case in his mind that this is what i'm just used to this is what i've adapted to in a sense I don't know how to unpack it. I don't know if there's an element of male bravado and going, no, 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 this is nothing for me. But then not understanding that, you know, bravado can only get you so far. You do have a physical limit as well as your mindset side. 
Oh yeah, maybe I'm, I'm the opposite of the male bravado. I, I'm a walking injury ball of injury, basically, and you know, I just get the little tweak, and I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> Or how useful is apps like my fitness pal because i know the, the tracking macros so it's not something we do so much in cycling but i'm coming out the far end of my cycling journey and i'm trying to spend more time in the gym and not that i'm tracking macros but i'm starting to come in touch with people who are talking about macros more um i think it's just a really useful tool to familiarize yourself with calories uh, i don't use it much more than that um it depends. It can be linked to a lot of binge eating tendencies. So this is one of those things where it depends much more on the person than the app itself. I know a significant amount of people who can use it happily and carefree. And I know a significant amount of, I, I happen to know personally a few people who can't really use it without having certain behaviors they don't wish to engage in, exacerbate it. But the research would also suggest that it can be quite detrimental to people trying to overcome or stay away from potentially binge eating disorders and and things like that so it depends what you're looking to get out of it i don't ever think it hurts to understand what a protein is what a carbohydrate is and what a fat is because that can pull you away from the idea of a good or a bad food i think so many people get surprised when they've demonized carbohydrates all their life and then they realize that gram for gram it's the exact same calorie count as a protein i think people are blown away when they find out the calorie count in bread because people have been conditioned to fear bread same with fruit same with chocolate to a degree i think people are surprised that it's not this all fattening um, food that we've been led to believe it is in, in certain corners of the diet industry and it can be eaten in a very, you know, quote unquote healthy amount, whatever that means. So the app itself, I don't necessarily suggest prolonged uses. I think it's better to use it for a very short and selective period of time, trying to get the kind of the calorie awareness of your favorite 15 to 20 foods and just know that your habitual diet, and if you think about it, you do have an habitual diet, whether you realize it or not. It's, you've probably got the same 15 or 20 or maybe even 25 foods in the house at any given time. And it, it, to me, it's just about having a baseline understanding of the amount of calories in that. But to, I don't know if it's part of your question specifically, but I would always urge that calorie tracking is kind of almost like a latter piece of the puzzle. Like if you have a really poor structure, then what I always tell people, and I think this is really worth thinking about, is you might be going from pure chaos into pure restriction, and then when that breaks, back to chaos. So it doesn't matter what approach you took. If that's your mindset and calorie tracking is the vehicle, it's chaos, calorie tracking, chaos. It's on the diet, off the diet, on the diet, off the diet again. If you create an habitual structure, for example, breakfast, lunch, dinner, supper, or three meals a day, or three meals, two snacks, I don't mind at all. But if you create habitual structure where you eat at similar times most days, then you can come along, in my opinion, and quantify those habits with a calorie tracking app for a very short period of time and think, I thought I was eating well, but turns out I'm eating three and a half thousand calories. I can now make that small adjustment and then taper down and keep those habits as far as I'm concerned. So the app can be useful, but it's like a, a latter addition to the journey. I think if you just pull out an app and think I'm tracking calories tomorrow, I have no self-awareness, I have no knowledge of food, I don't even know what I like, and I'm going chaos to restriction. I think it's just a crash diet under any other guise. I think if you have a solid degree of routine and structure in your life, I think it can be a decent tool to help create portion control. But I think that's an absolutely brilliant point for our listeners, that chaos to structure, because this is my life. This is cycling season. And this is what I'm trying to unwind out of at the moment because the cycling season is basically set up for, if you think on season, off season, think structure, chaos. Like yeah. I have friends who raced at 75 kilograms who would go up to 95, 100 kilograms in the off season. 
and they'd be on the pace every day because th- during the season you know they're weighing their porridge in the morning they're weighing their spinach at lunch they're tracking everything tracking sleep tracking hydration tracking every minute on the bike with heart rate cadence power every aspect of their lives is dialed including the altitude they're sleeping at and then there's a finish line at the end of the season and it's like getting out on the summer holidays it's like oh my god we've entered a period of no consequences our friends who are like in nightclubs like almost every night for the entire three month period these are professional athletes and then they go back into structure and it's structure chaos and so many of us as amateur athletes even mimic those patterns of destructive chaos unknowingly because we're still in that uh that game of season is approaching my target event is approaching now the target event has finished i can loosen the belt a little bit yeah it, it's a it's a mindset i find particularly intriguing why it always has to be extreme uh, it's it's part i go back to earlier when i talked about setting up the business that i have set up it was born in a way from not only my experience, but I blogged about the fine line between mastery and obsession. And I just put on a silly old blog on Facebook and I was just shocked at the reception I got, but it really did. I mean, obviously it wasn't the single moment that by, by made my business or made my idea, but I just understood, I began to see firsthand how many people were relating to the kind of the idea that there's a really fine line between obsession and mastery. And it's very difficult in a way, because you don't necessarily realize when you're in the negative cycle. It's, it's, you don't quite see it. Maybe you do realize it or you know that, that, that it's not healthy, but you don't necessarily know there's a better way or, or a more productive way, if you like. But I've always kind of tried to encourage, certainly my client base, and I would encourage this across the board with, with cyclists, with anybody. You have to get yourself to a place whereby there's no transgression, there's no perception of failure. And then when you do tighten up for the cycling on season or even just a general fitness event, you're creating flexible dietary restraint because you can, because you want to, because it supports the goal. And then you stop the flexible dietary restraint and you're a tiny bit more flexible in general. And it's not night and day. It's kind of going from like very, very focused to slightly less focused, but with a, a very similar list of habits. And I've talked about this. You talked about threads that run through successful people. I've talked to some of my mates who are former bodybuilders who have kept a lot of the shape they have. Really good guys, really ethical um, good lads in the fitness industry and they, they've said the same thing i've said that it's like the mindset is night and day completely different because of the choice but a lot of the decisions still happen to be the same they still eat their porridge in the morning not because they have to because it's very satiating food as opposed to say the uncommon thread is i'll eat porridge every day for 12 weeks but as soon as this torture ends i'm going straight back to my old habits but you know what this is like a therapy session because i'm seeing so much of my self-defeating habits in what you're talking about for a long time i thought that something that was serving me quite well and maybe it did serve me quite well as a point was my self-vision i seen myself as an athlete so even in periods of my life where i was you know trying to build businesses and i'd be in you know meetings wearing a suit and tie uh, people would be passing around biscuits and stuff or eating Kit Kats. I wouldn't be eating biscuits and Kit Kats because my self-image was, no, I'm not like these guys. I'm an athlete. And that seeing myself as an athlete also created this set of behaviors. Athletes have certain habits. Athletes lay their kit out the night before for training. Athletes plan what their session is the next day. Athletes are mindful around food. But when I think about my vision as an athlete, that's also what leads to this idea of structure chaos structure chaos because that's very much built into the athlete's life cycle you think back to any of the famous fight ricky hatton is the mad obvious example of camp 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 all the way up fight binge 
and unknowingly i think i was sabotaging myself for a long time and it's now post kind of real serious cycling goals where i'm trying to look at myself as a 365 athlete it's a mindset shift that i actually haven't made yet and it's one that i need to work on yeah but it's also a case that you're exactly where you need to be in a sense i know you talked about it being a therapy therapy session i'm not trying to analyze <laughs> you but but we are I, I do truly believe as a as a whole as in a kind of a given rule of thumb if you like you're exactly where you need to be at any given time because i don't think you'd be there if that's if you weren't meant to be there that's, that's where you are ultimately but there's also a case that you may agree and it's something i'm obviously not i don't feel like an expert on but it, based on my own experience it's like your ego tries to construct this idea of who i am and then when you say i there's a there's a pure unconscious stream of thoughts and actions that come along with that and we box ourselves off you know i am paul i am the businessman i am the former bodybuilder and um I think that can become quite dangerous quite quick because if you start to identify too much of one thing and over identify one thing then you can miss out on a lot of the opportunities in life it's actually something i've been very conscious of i've tried not to necessarily over identify with any of the aspects of my personality um you know it i do think it can stop some of the most wonderful blessings and opportunities in in your life completely into your life and some of my best experiences in my entire journey through this through this existence so far have been almost spontaneous events and moments that i would have previously boxed myself off away from because paul the fitness guy doesn't do that but paul the more life-oriented person definitely does yeah. well it's not that he does it's that he's open to these opportunities but it's just in, it's interesting hearing you speak like this because it's very it reminds me a lot of my own journey in a way and i mean it sounds like to me that you're on the right path man when you're consciously questioning you know you've confirmation bias and I, I know we all have heard this before, but I think one poignant way of looking at it is if you don't actively find a way to reflect on your subconscious beliefs, they'll continue to dominate your life. And I think reflection is such a huge part of growth. And you'll find yourself reacting in new ways to familiar situations in the future, to the point, in my opinion, where in a couple of years, certainly has been the case for me, you can't recognize the person staring back at you anymore in the best possible way. There's just such a feeling of calmness and serenity and I don't know. It's just like the world has slowed down a little bit in my <laughs> mind while, whilst everything else has gone on around me. But that's, that comes from questioning a lot of the stuff like you have. The confirmation bias is really interesting in the context of athletes. I was out on a group ride at the weekend and the subject of diet came up and I was chatting with one of the guys about diet and his statement I don't know if he thought too deeply about it but it was something that just stayed with me. He's like, diets don't work. And this is a guy who's not in good shape or, you know, not in the, I don't want to say good shape. He's not in the shape he wants to be in. Cause you know, you could be 20 stone and rocking and happy as fuck. And you know, if you are chapeau, hats off to you, but he's not in a place he wants to be. He's not happy with his current physique and his mindset is diets don't work. So now he looks around them at, for all the examples of people who have tried diets and failed and ended up in a worse place than when they started. But I'm looking around at the group and 90% of the group are in really, really good physical shape and they all have some element of dietary strictness or dietary discipline or advanced planning or you know cognitive awareness around their food. So there's so many examples there that he could have chose to view to say diets do work. But it was interesting that instead of looking at those 90% of the examples, he chose to look at the 10% of stuff in his life that verified his confirmation bias. Yeah, and it's kind of a case where information alone never changes people's minds. We kind of want our opinions to pour from other people's mouths in a sense. Uh, but I also think the idea that diets don't work is it's, 
it's if it can mean anything, it means nothing. I don't really know what that sentence means. Are you talking <laughs> calorie restriction? Yeah, are you talking crash dieting? If you're talking crash dieting, I agree they're not sustainable. But if you're talking the means of calorie control, um, I mean, like of course it works. It's kind of like saying gravity doesn't work. Like maybe it's a more it's more likely. And I would never say this disparaging. I, I'm very aware of the nuances of the difficulty of weight management. I, I truly am. Nobody respects it more than me. But it's far more likely that your personal experience has led you to a place where you haven't found the freedom you wish to express. But the idea that you can universally declare something void of functionality because of your experience, it, it is a bit of an unchecked arrogance. Now, I do think it comes from pain. I do. But I've seen it in the past, too. I, I, I work with a client, <clears throat> a great person, and this person told me that they absolutely hate diet culture they hate dieting and they told me that on our first consult and i said no problem what do you want help with they said training and i said no problem absolutely let's do it so this person's been a client now for quite a while and um uh, we've we've focused on just working out getting stronger we focused on a lot of kind of barbell work specifically in the gym and all of a sudden this person has changed their physical body composition through nutrition and they've told me since that the reason they felt safe to actually do that was because I, after they told me not to mention dieting, I didn't. I never said anything about it ever again. I, I listened to them on face value and I said, this person is clearly not. doesn't matter what I say that it can be effective. doesn't matter. I'm not going to convince this person that calorie control can work. They've decided it doesn't work. But then they obviously felt safe around me, listened to my podcast, heard some of my client testimonies and decided to try some of the more helpful practices that maybe might engage in weight management behaviors and voila, they, they changed. And it was because they didn't feel like they had to do anything. They didn't feel like they were on or off a diet. They were making their own choice. It came from autonomy, self-awareness. They still got to have their gin and tonic, but I fucking hate gin. So, you know, I just won't drink it, but they can drink it. Um, but I love a pint. And that's my point is it's always in the nuances. So I do think that kind of blanket statements, the, the mind loves this certainty. We love to create certainty that that no matter how painful or difficult it is, I've, I've done it. The reason I can empathize, I've done it. I used to think, no, this is bad, this is wrong, this is stupid, because I needed to feel that level of certainty because that kind of doubt is not a particularly comfortable condition to contend with. At the same time, you're not changing anybody's mind. You know, when you're deep, deep in a cognitive dissonance, you're not coming out of that. And the most dangerous cognitive dissonance is our own cognitive dissonance. And I even think understanding that will help you do have a better understanding of human beings too. So, I mean, your major thinks diets don't work true crash diets don't necessarily work if you're talking sustainability, but I suppose we'd have to agree on our definition of diet to have that conversation. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. That was exactly the point I was trying to get at. When you unpack a statement like diets don't work, it's a statement that has so many nuances on it. We could have you know a six-hour conversation on it entirely what that statement means, but it's also a nature of this, We to circle back to a conversation we had at the start, gutter journalism we're in a culture of these reductionist arguments where we try and take yeah. extremely complex topics and distill them down to very definite sentences like diets don't work and it's a strange place we are and i always think it's nearly a sign of a, a i don't know if it's a cluttered mind or someone who hasn't a lot of stillness in their life to and maybe this is a me arrogantly projecting on this person, but it feels like that was a statement I would have made when I was a little bit younger and a little bit less self-aware. I, I, I like what you said there about projecting. I definitely happen to agree that it's definitely caught your attention for some reason. Anytime I found myself 
feeling irritated by any kind of words of another person. Like you can't irritate me with your opinion on chess or tennis. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just don't care. But you can irritate me with certain things. Um, like I get a bit irritated with certain views nowadays on certain things. It doesn't matter. But it is it is pure projection if I allow myself to get seduced by it. So, I mean, it's, it is true. These things catch your attention for a reason. And we only have so much energy in a day. So yeah, uh, I always think that's worth, worth sitting with. But you know yourself, and, and uh, similar to me, the reductionism is something I would have been guilty of as a younger person too. Way too reductionist ideas. Oh, we all have 24 hours in a day. You just, you know, <laughs> of course, like tell that, to, tell that to a sick person or a busy parent when you're a single mid-20s trainer. And I'm, I can look back and laugh and I don't think they're the views you used to hold, but you're, you're so right now, social media as well nowadays, with the, just the nature of the platform, we can make these very reductionist soundbite arguments and then the platform lends itself to to the outrage culture and the, the angriness of us. And you talked about lack of stillness, man. I think that's absolutely part of it. I think there is a real lack of, I just don't think a calm, tranquil person reacts that way. Yeah, and uh, this is something that's probably unique to cycling, but road rage, this uh, interaction between cyclists and motorists. And I see riders reacting banging on the side of car shouting at motors for a close pass and it's it's a sign of a very busy mind because if you unwind and go well what's the outcome i'm looking from from banging on the side of this person's car it's definitely not going to de-escalate it's it's in my experience it's always escalating it to the next level and you're going out then for your 90 minute cycle to clear your head and you end up in a full punch up on the side of the road and you know talk about rolling the dice having a punch up with a stranger like you know what an insane roll of the dice that is to end up in intensive care yeah it does it does suggest to me a lack of perspective you know if you really were finding yourself i know it's a bit grim but if you're finding yourself on death's door or if you're looking back on a life well lived more to the point i just can't imagine all the times you were outraged and looking for fights and kerfuffles and scraps are just going to rank high in the list of things paul is proud of that he did when he was healthy this is a new exercise that I've just started the last month. So I once a week on a Sunday, I'm trying to rise quite early, you know, before rest of my house. And I'm starting to take 60 minutes to plan out my week coming. So what I will do is I'll look back on the previous week and I'll do right maybe two, three paragraphs, quite long form on what went well last week, what didn't go well, both personally and professionally. And then for the following week coming, I will look and go, well, what is my tombstone? What do I want to be remembered for? What's the big ticket items that I want to move this week? You know, um, how can I move closer to that ideal epitaph on my tombstone? And then looking at what I have planned for the coming week and trying to sprinkle in a little bit of that ultimate destination in my coming week. And because I'm fascinated when, when people say, oh, you know, I'm an athlete or I'm, a, you know, I, I love to I love to learn. And then you open their Google calendar and you look at it and you're like, you know, you've got one hour of training and no hours of self-development in your calendar because our day has ultimately become our life. So I'm trying to just be a little bit more mindful of how I spend my hours, how I spend my days and trying to do it in a meaningful, mindful sense. Yeah, it's a really thoughtful and thought-provoking experiment. I had a client a long time ago and she's actively encouraged me to share this story but it kind of goes along the lines of your thinking about conscious decision making she had a baby and she was not particularly thrilled about her current weight at the time so she decided to wait until she would change her appearance until she got in in a photo 
so this my client had a newborn and then her mother was trying to get a photo of three generations so the granny the mother my client and then the newborn baby but my client said no she wanted to wait she wanted to wait until she was confident then her mother passed away oh fuck. and yeah and so she got no pictures um of the three generations of the family and she said it is a huge regret and it will always be kind of for life and she's told me because I think it is quite poignant, very impactful. It's never left me. And this is years back that this happened, that she told me. But it is kind of a case of, you know, in life, we're given a lot of opportunities each day. And I don't think we realize we're, we're it's a lot of it's unspectacular in the, the mundanity of life, which is actually the miracle of life when you think about it. But there's also little moments of regret that we're creating or unconsciously, if you like. And then there's also beautiful memories that we possibly can create very consciously. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, we might regret those things say that we've done but we're definitely going to regret the things we didn't do when we had the chance and i think there's a lot of a lot of decision making we can do with awareness and with consciousness from love and from joy and from growth and from who we could be as opposed to focusing and on the lack and the what we don't have because you can you can go you can play that game all day like what i'm lacking what i don't have the, the self-conscious game you can list that game till kingdom come it's a lot harder to be to be very I don't even want to say to be confident and to love your flaws because I don't actually believe that either, but to have a value system stronger, stronger than that of your biggest flaws that allows you to make slightly more conscious decisions, if that makes sense. It makes sense in my mind. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And it's kind of along the lines of something I'm trying really hard to work on at the moment when we look at, or at least when I... I, I think about these uh, it's I don't know why and it's again I'm projecting again there's something on Instagram culture that's like irking me that I keep coming back to <laughs> but you see you see a lot of snapshots of life or people's life is a photo book it's the drinks on the beach it's the yacht party for New Year's it's the graduation it's these things but these are, when I look back and I go at the last few years I've so few of those moments you know like anyone else I've no more no less than anyone else I have the big birthdays big graduations big events but that's not what life is they're one day in 30 days they're one day you know four days in 365 days what life is, is it's the small interactions for me it's i'm trying to work more on how do i greet my girlfriend when i open the front door to her what's the quality of our interaction over the dinner table because i'm having we're having three meals a day together and if you can get those small interactions the ones that we do 20 30 40 times a day if you can get those interactions if you can improve the quality of those you're improving the quality of your whole life isn't that one of the whole philosophies are you familiar with the work of because uh, i find it interesting you said relationships it's something i'm interested as well interested in as well the gottmans no. if you're aware of their work no but, um, john gottman can predict and you think this might sound bollocks and then you understand how he does it can predict divorce rates in couples with an accuracy of 90 plus percent with 15 minutes of time with them and it's remarkable and uh, so i just i read his book a couple of months back it's a really insightful book it's just really interesting because you kind of want to look out for say red flags in your own behavior but it's just kind of, it's kind of interesting he, he does have i think in the book he basically has a bit and um it might almost sound like common sense in a way but it is basically the small interactions that make up life completely you're, you're so spot on uh when you say it's not about being at the yacht party or the, or the boat party and I, I had a funny incident. I don't. I never talk about this ever. It's no big deal or anything. But uh, I went to. I lived in Vietnam, and last year I, I had a kind of some business targets, and I hit them a lot earlier than I was expecting in, in about June. So in July, I got my bag, my laptop, two pairs of sportswear, and I took a flight to a Vietnamese island by myself. Savage. 
just yeah just just to reflect just to recalibrate where business is going where life is going etc because you know you stretch your own limitations when you achieve one goal and stuff like that and um i met a group of people at the airport they just actually literally they just came over to me asked me where i was from and they had said oh we had all guessed you were australian argentinian but we never said i we would have never said irish uh keep mine quite tanned and dark hair and all that stuff <laughs> but um th then they all invited me to come and meet them at this place for a drink and i, I was like you know what? yeah go on i will i've only got my sportswear at this point I'm like why the hell not um and and as it turns out they're a group of very very astute investors who have created a, a long list of financial freedom of course i don't know this at the time so the, the we're having a glass of wine a couple of glasses of wine which is about seven or eight of us and the bill comes and i see four figures in the bill like and i'm thinking like i'm drinking a glass of wine thinking this must this must be costing 50 60 quid a glass and i'm like what is going on here so everyone's chipping in their money and i'm there kind of thinking pulling out my wallet going begrudgingly handed over with 300 quid for my three <laughs> glasses of wine and it turns out anyway that because and to be fair i should have copped on because where i did go it was a stunning place it was like a yacht club but i just thought it was one of those really kind of luxury vietnamese places you get for cheap and and but anyway long story short we had great night, cost a fortune. Turns out they were these ridiculously well-to-do investors. One of the amazing nights. But I even remember thinking, I can't put this on Instagram. I'm going to look like such a cock if I put this on Instagram. <laughs> this is everything I hate when I see. So I just kind of, I left it off there. You know, I didn't even put it up. And I remember thinking, you know you're doing okay in life. And when you when you bump into this kind of group of people in this kind of group setting, the first thing you would do is plaster it all over social media. But I made it a point of not doing it. Just, just to prove to myself that I was a bit more intrinsically motivated. You know, that kind of way. It's a hard one. Me and Brian were talking about this. Uh, Brian Keane uh, is a buddy of Paul's for context. And uh, we were chatting about this on my podcast. It's the, the, how we see ourselves versus how we want to be seen. You know, yeah. all, 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 Brian is a huge Instagram following. We have a comparable size Instagram following, which is still, you know, it's quite big if you line those people up and put them outside your house as a angry <laughs> as an angry mob. Uh, but if I'm thinking about going to Morocco in a couple of weeks, cycling with a buddy, and do I need to put that on Instagram, or why did I even need to mention that on the podcast right now that I'm going to Morocco cycling with a buddy? It's trying to portray an image of who I want people to see me as. And it's a difficult one that he says he wrestles with a lot. And I think it was Robin Sharma, the author he had on as a guest, said he really got him to have almost an existential crisis around why he needs to share some of these endurance feats with his audience. But you can overthink it too. Um, like I said, I don't share that story. Or I never shared it with social. I barely talk about it. But like, and I obviously shared it with you in a podcast. So, sometimes as well, it's just it's just nice to you know share a little bit of a sprinkle of this is who I am. I don't know if you do this when I'm on my Instagram. Sometimes I'll look back in the archives of two years ago and see what I was doing this day two years ago on my stories, and I'm like, oh, that was my trip to the Trang on Vietnam. Oh, that's such a beautiful little memory. I'm so happy now for seeing this. Yeah. So I think. I think you can overthink it to a degree. I mean, if you're living some kind of poster, imposter life and you're putting out this image. Tinder swindler. In anywhere, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's not reflective of who you are. I mean, you've got bigger issues, but so I think it's a case of how do you feel when you do, man? Like, do you feel like, like even I'm telling that story and I did actually go for a second. Why am I telling this? I, you know, do I, like, why, why am I, 300 glass of wine? Is that really something to boast about? I didn't know it at the time. Um, but then the other part of me is thinking, no, nah, it's just, it's a part of my journey so far. It's, a, it's you know, I went to, because I went to trying to recalibrate the business and I ended up going away with these people for two full nights and one of my clients said so I got no work done and one of my clients said sometimes when you're looking for what you want you get what you really need and that was Score. in July yeah July 2020 so it's a while back now nearly two years and what I got from that was 
I'm doing okay with my business. I love where I'm at, but I need to reestablish. And this is absolutely true. Between COVID and that weekend, what I got from it, I can't forget connection and my best friends as as I get more business centric and maybe more business savvy. And I don't consider myself a business savvy person in the ultimate, in the grand scheme of things, not at all. I cannot neglect connection. And that's what I took. And since then, I've reached out to more friends. I've done more things with people. I've been very present and engaged with the people I've done things with and incredibly selective. And it, it's part, it's part of my journey, but I do think there was a deeper lesson there that's don't forget people. I, I don't think you ever look back and regret great friendships and great time spent with people when, when you're looking at a life worth lived and minimal regrets. No, it's, like that bet, it's like the deathbed thing you were thinking about. Like, you know, I, I can't imagine you ever look back from your deathbed and think, fuck, I wish I worked longer. I wish I invested more. I wish, you know, it's going to be about friendships. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as well, I say a lot of these things as if I'm somehow the embodiment of them, but it's more so that these are things I value. And I, I value consciously trying to create a life with the most minimal amount of regrets possible by, you know, using regrets and stupidity that I've done and being dumb to create less dumbness as I get a little bit older. So I think, it, I, to, to your point, man, I think it depends. How do you feel when you share something? If you're If you're being pretentious and you're sharing things that are in no way indicative of you, then... Fair enough. If you're filtering and plastering your pictures that you don't look like yourself, cool. But if you're genuinely sharing a slice of your personality, you know, there's some of my favorite pages to follow when you can just sense that authenticity. Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And it's something I hadn't talked about because if I think back, we were talking off air about a, a portion of my life where, you know, I went down a road which, not to judge anyone else that's going down that road where I was trying to build multiple businesses and it just didn't feel in keeping with my true self. I felt like there was an alarm going off going, bro, this is not you. You are you don't fit in here. Not in an imposter syndrome sense of way. Like, I didn't want to fit in there and I was fitting in there. And when I look back at some of those moments I shared, I'm not proud of those moments that I shared on social media just because they weren't reflective of who I am. But if I look back at, you know, sharing pictures of races, pictures of our Instagram stories of cycling across the mountains, going exploring with buddies, you know, they are bits I will look back on, on when they pop up on an Instagram memory or a Facebook memory in two, three years and think, yeah, fuck, that was a lot of fun. That was good fun. I'm so with you. When I was doing men's physique competition, the one time that I did it, I shared a few pictures. I shared one or two pictures where it was kind of before and after of all the work and quite proud of it. But the actual sharing then of kind of the, the topless typical fitness selfie, I was never proud. Even back then, I knew somehow it was like, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. Is this a validation thing? What is this? So I quickly changed direction. No regrets about the physique thing, but I changed direction thinking, no, this this kind of topless fitnessy look at me my body's my marketing tool thing it was it was never me it's not the person i am and you know I, there's words by gary v that have never left me and it's basically whatever it is money or fame or success not that i'm saying i have any particular tremendous amount of anything but it's just words to live by more than anything is they don't change you it just exposes you and just having that level of what i ultimately what i've decided is kind of having these physique pictures online on the internet and people commenting on them were not a reflection of my values. I, just like men's physique wasn't a reflection of my values, but the business I'm building currently is a deep reflection of my values. You know, and it was the very number one thing I was struck with when I went from listening to you on the podcast, and this was my hang up because as soon as I heard personal trainer, diet, I'd put you into a box when I heard you speaking uh -huh. on some podcast, and I said, Oh, well, he's that dude. And I had an image in my head of, you know, the muscle bound lad with the top off pictures on Instagram. And 
I flicked over, you know, and if you haven't seen Paul's Instagram, like, you are ripped to fuck. You could easily be sharing these pictures, you know, and they would I look I don't, I don't feel ripped now at the moment, but I appreciate the kind <laughs> words. But nobody, nobody, look, if you're going through a bad time financially, and then I'm here, like, going, look how much cash I have. <laughs> That's if a great I, analogy. I'd be more, it is, it is, absolutely. And someone said it to me years back when I was in the physique thing, and I thought, ah, that guy's just jealous because he's not, and I, I didn't mean jealous of me, but I was like, that guy's bitter because... He, you know, and I was like, no, I'm an idiot. He's right. Um, he got that spot on because that was the analogy he used. But like, if you were struggling financially, I'd be thinking, all right, like, let's take a look. Where could we make a few cutbacks? Where could we interject a little bit? Where could we start saving for a rainy day? Where could we build up a little bit? But I wouldn't be flaunting my wealth thinking, no, here's 50. <laughs> but that is what the industry has normalized in a way. And it's what I, I'm glad I'm not part of, but it's what I don't love about it. It's Oh, you feel shit about yourself. Oh, well, like come to my bicep program and my, you know, my abdominal program and get these results in four weeks. It, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, you talked about being fit there and I try and keep myself relatively fit, but I have 15 years of kind of in and out of the gym experience. I have a list of like experiences, some good, some not so good, you know, psychological complexities at the start, not so many now, complete tranquility now in the context of I'm not battling bad knowledge anymore or pseudoscience because I, you know, I'm a trainer and I studied this and quite geared towards critical thinking and other value I hold. So you can't get my results, quote unquote, my results in six weeks because your psychology is going to be deep. Your thoughts, your your actual story, your narrative, your critical thinking, your so many things are going to be the driving force, not to mention it's impossible to build muscle in bloody six weeks. So, you know, there's a toxic side to the industry too, whereby it makes these short-term promises and then people think that they're freakish for not being able to embody them. The best physiques are built in decades plus. And I'm a small guy. I'm not a big man by any means. And I'm still training more than 10 years. And this is, if you'd have told me 10 years ago, and this is absolutely true, Paul, this is the amount of muscle you'll have in a decade. I'd say, no, nah, you're having me on. I'm, no, nah. if I'm training four days a week, I'm going to look huge. And I'm basically a slightly more toned version of what I started. And that's the reality because of the, you know, the life I live, the balance I want. And I just think there'd be so much more, there'd be so much more ethical practice if we were honest to people as to the realities of any kind of fitness transformation. The transformations you see online, they're not necessarily sustainable by their nature, which can be a good thing if you want to put yourself through it, have at it, go nuts. But if you want to balance eventually relationships and a social life and a work life, you're going to need to eventually find a way to get the biggest investment from your fitness journey for the least amount of yeah, the biggest returns pattern for the least amount of investment in, in a good way. And that might be not looking like a superhuman freak, but by just looking like a normal person who's in fit and healthy shape. But yeah, look, that's just me kind of going off on one man because um, I feel passionate about it. So you're telling me seven minute abs don't exist? <laughs> Maybe 10 or 11, man. With seven, you might be good at fine. Uh, Paul, I just want to finish up on this one because we could end up talking for the next six hours here. Uh, I, had, I was flicking through your Instagram earlier and I came across one that I loved. Uh, Paul has, instead of the pictures of the bicep, uh, the gun show he has pictures of just knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb on his instagram profile it's well worth checking what is your instagram handle just to give you the, the plug on it uh, paul dermody pt my name and then pt oh but it, you know what? one other thing because you said it um my mate joe in vietnam i don't know if he listened to this because he's not i don't think he's into fitness podcast at all big fitness guy but not through information like the most connected person to his body and food i've ever met doesn't give a shit about any of the information 
But he even said that to me. He he said, "Oh, when you told me you were a trainer, I immediately boxed you off as just another <laughs> dickhead." Because, but you're actually one of the sound ones, and that's a rarity. And I thought, "Oh, we're just not doing the industry justice." <laughs> no, it's definitely a stereotype. But this one that caught my eye, and it's the only note I've took for the entire conversation today. It said, "Committing to repetitive." unspectacular nature of fitness and nutrition and it's just it's the the Seneca quote which I absolutely love you know we don't define our future we define our habits and our habits define our future it's so powerful in I used to look at that stuff and go well it's this is cycling specific their progress is slow but it's not cycling specific it's not strength and conditioning specific it's not diet specific it's not financial specific it's just such an all-encompassing statement that progress is unspectacular it's repetitive it's non-glamorous and it's just fucking drudgery to get there you know i often think about this and i think there's a parallel somewhere but when i don't know if you've ever been on a date or had a friend that's gone on a date with someone and the person they went on the date with is they tick all the boxes. They're nice. They're kind. They're they're sound. They're a good person, funny, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then they come back, and after all of that good stuff that checked off, they're like, "No, this person is not for me." And I always found that a bit interesting. And then what I started to discover as I got a little bit older is that person's really saying, "I don't believe this person's going to make me suffer in a way that feels familiar." <laughs> and I kind of think it's the same with dieting, as silly as this analogy sounds. I talk about the unspectacular nature of fitness because, you know, it's kind of a case of a lot of people are waiting to have all their carbohydrates pulled or their calories lowered or, you know, something awful because that's how dieting feels. But I talk about the unspectacular, repetitive nature of fitness because you don't have to necessarily make that many changes. You might, you might overestimate the amounts of changes, but underestimate the length of time and consistency for some small yeah. core changes. And I always think when people are asking me for like a really low carb, really low calorie diet, they're not saying I want sustainability. They're saying I need to be made suffer in a way that feels familiar for me to think this diet is working. And I'm trying to say, no, you need to familiarize yourself with the unspectacular, repetitive core habits that lead to success in six weeks and six months and six years. It's I was went, rode the Wicklow Way for anyone who's an international listener, non-Irish. It's like a mountain pass across the Wicklow Mountains in Ireland. So it's a typical walk. It's nearly like a pilgrimage for some in Ireland. Have you walked it? No. It's cool. It's worth doing. I haven't walked it, but I rode it on the gravel bike and it's two days. So we rode nine hours a day, set up camp in the middle of us, you know, built a fire, camped. But I got a funny question that I was thinking, reflected on. Somebody said, you know, are you not afraid to camp? in the woods and what they're really asking there is say they're saying they're projecting they're saying i'm afraid to camp in the woods and here's all the reasons i'm afraid to camp in the woods but i get that statement around training all the time because if i'm nothing else if i'm not consistent like i wouldn't say i've missed four days of training in the last 10 years so they look they go i don't know how you do that every day of the week but really it's that projection going I can't do it every day of the week, and here's my reasons why. Uh, I thought it was just an interesting observation since we're talking so much about projecting on this that as you were talking there, I was just, I was thinking about that difficulty people seem to have with nailing down consistency and making a, a habitual part of their lifestyle. Yeah, it, it is difficult, um, and it's, it, it is a really tricky one for me to interject on because I see areas in my life where I, I would love certain outcomes, but I find it harder to commit to that process, definitely. 
and I see other, like podcasting. I wish I was more of a podcaster, but I find it a bit hard to commit to it, to be honest with you. But then there's parts of my life that are away from it that I that I don't even have to think about. But, um, you know, you mentioned there about the fear thing. It really interesting because it always gets me thinking when, when maybe you might say something like that, something I noticed. I'm a big fan of walk your life. Don't, don't necessarily let other people's advice become yours, but I've never really related to the things that other people seem to fear in a certain way. It, it probably sounds a tiny bit self-congratulatory. It's not meant to at all, but I know a lot of people fear certain things in life and just the way people talk about what they value, what they look towards and what they fear in life. I've just never really connected with a lot of it. I think it's, I don't even know, I don't even know where I'm going with this in a sense, but it's just interesting because I think when, when I was moving to Spain initially, someone said to me, um, and I, because I don't say this is a victim story, it's just an interesting thing. They said to me something like, uh, you don't speak the language. And I was like, well, I know, yeah, but you know, someone in history has had to move to a country where they don't speak the language before. <laughs> But, but it's true. And, and then, you know, they said, well, what if it fails? You know, you'll be back to Ireland with your tail between your legs. And that was the wording they used. And I remember thinking, I'm not angry or bitter, but like, that's your limitation, but it's not mine. So don't expect me to think the same as that. Um, and I've always been quite fascinated on how a lot of the unresolved fears in life, unresolved fears and unmet desires and will be overtly put onto somebody else once we don't actually do the thing that makes us. And that, that's actually kind of almost like a fear of mine. It always is that I'd get into my 30s or 40s, never having traveled, never having done my thing, being in the same position. Whereas, I don't know, man, just when you don't resonate with a lot of the fears and the, the stuff that's put on, even my parents who are my two closest humans on the planet, education, 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 like, yes, education and learning, but not through this school and college system. This is a lot of bollocks. And um, Well, do yeah, you know before the advent of tourism, education travel was education yeah like yeah. It, every it yeah every time i've traveled it's broadened my mind and it's you know new culinary experiences new cultural experiences you know, meeting like we spoke off air like i love catalonia the people in catalonia are just it feels like we're connected at some sort of primal rebellious level to ireland and our divided history the only thing is and i agree with you that travel is quite an educative experience but at the same time, you know, a lot of people do go travel and then they don't have actually anything to come back to, whether it's a career or a job or any kind of money or income. So it's, a, it's an amazing kind of mindset and it's certainly a kind of philosophy I would agree with. But there's also the other half to that, that are you running to or are you running away? Everything in moderation, including moderation. Yes, absolutely. That's for sure. <laughs> Paul, I think we'll wrap it up. We could chat for the next six hours. Uh, before we wrap it up, what? give me a plug for your podcasts and anything else you have good that's going on because this is fascinating and I know people want to follow you. Uh, so thank you. Well, my podcast is basically me either talking about my philosophy around food, fitness, etc., or talking to a lot of my client base who have been through the journey. You know, I've had clients lose 100 plus pounds. Um, I've had clients stop dieting completely and take away neutral approaches and absolutely everything in between also had a smattering of kind of if you like nutrition authorities on it there too so if you want to check the podcast paul darby podcast instagram paul darby pt but you can shoot me a message or a dm or an email and i will eventually respond to you i promise paul you're a legend thank you really enjoyed this thank you for joining me no worries man i enjoyed it a lot thanks so much 
Roadmen, thank you for listening to today's episode of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm asked all the time how listeners can support the podcast. Well, there's a number of ways you can support the podcast. As I mentioned at the outset, Patreon is an easy way to support it. But if you don't feel like subscribing on Patreon or you can't afford to subscribe on Patreon, a really easy way to support the podcast is simply sharing it with a friend. Take the episode link and sharing it into WhatsApp groups, into club Facebook groups, and just helping to spread the roadman word you can follow me and you can find me over on instagram our handle on instagram it's roadman.cycling or we have a new tiktok account where we're taking extracts from the podcast and posting them over there on roadman cycling podcast is the handle there really for all things roadman cycling the mission control is our main website which is newly launched and that's on roadmancycling.com you can also leave us a review on apple podcast they make such a huge difference or if you're not on apple you can leave the review anywhere where you listen to the podcast Roadmen, have a great day and ride safe.